Hear the word of our Lord from Acts chapter 17, beginning in the 10th verse. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have noticed that here on the Very Lutheran Project, we have a lot of Bible studies. We're currently going through a very, very long series in the book of Romans, and we've been going through Hebrews. But the special thing about the book of Hebrews study is that there are PDF transcripts of the Bible studies on verylutheran.biz. On our House Church Resources tab, we have all these PDFs, all these documents that more or less say the same things as I'm saying on audio, with some additions of charts and maybe some different wording here and there. Why do I do that? For the deacons and lay leaders in the catacomb synod, or anybody out there conducting a Bible study at home, is it my intention for all these house churches out there to have the deacon or lay leader run a Sunday service and then maybe they drink some coffee and they just listen to me speak about the book of Hebrews and maybe they read the PDF as a handout. Well, I've always said that I believe that the congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God here on earth. If that's what you want to do, by all means, you are free to do so. But that's not really my intent with the Bible studies I'm publishing on the Very Lutheran Project website. The real intent is for these documents and this audio to be used as something of a springboard for discussion. Now, you can do whatever you want with these resources. Again, everything is free. The Very Lutheran Project is made possible by donations. Everything on that website is 100% free, and I intend to keep it that way. But if you want to get the most out of a Bible study, just playing audio and reading a PDF isn't going to do it for most people. At least if your goals are to get people to love the Word of God and to know the Word of God. And that leads us to the question, how do you run a Bible study? And more specifically, how do you run a Bible study using the resources that I've provided for your benefit? Well, first off, the goal of the Bible study is for the congregation to know the Bible better. There is no other benefit more precious to your congregation than that they should all be Bereans. That they should all read the scriptures, know the scriptures, and agree with right doctrine because they know what is in the Bible and how to understand it. So many people out there have this idea of a Bible study 
as being no different than a sermon. Uh, you're supposed to tell people what to do, I guess, or you're supposed to get into historical context, I guess, and maybe teach them something, I think, and hope that it sticks in their mind. So you make some handouts and have them fill in some blanks or something like that. But that's not really the point. Don't get me wrong, knowing about historical context is perfectly fine. And if somebody wants to take notes, 100%, good on them. Typically, the process of taking notes is better than having the notes themselves. If you're writing down the details as you're hearing from the Bible study teacher, then you're going to remember it a lot better just because you took those notes. But we don't want to put the cart before the horse when it comes to a Bible study. The point is not the notes. The point is not the extraneous things surrounding the scripture. The point is the Bible itself. The Word of God. And not just knowing its contents, but also teaching people how to read the Bible, how to understand what they're reading, for them to love the scriptures and start reading them on their own. Every Christian should be in their Bible every single day. If you read the Bible for 10 minutes a day, just 10 minutes a day, 7 days a week, that's 3,650 minutes, that's about 60 hours of reading Holy Scripture. That's a lot, and that's very powerful. Imagine if you spent... 10 years reading the Bible for 10 minutes every day, that means that you have spent 600 hours, give or take 20 minutes here and there, depending on uh, the length of the chapter you're reading, 600 hours in 10 years reading the Bible, learning, absorbing, being transformed by God's word. That is the power of just 10 minutes a day. You're going to know Holy Scripture in and out. But for a lot of people, they get to a point where they don't know exactly what they're reading. If you go to Zechariah chapter 5 and you hear about some female angel shoved in a basket and thrown over to the plain of Shinar, or you start asking questions about Ezekiel's temple and you're not sure what to make of it, it's the place of the Bible study on Sunday or Wednesday, whenever you want to have a Bible study, to clear these things up for people. It gives them a little bit more detail, a little bit more context, a little bit of understanding where to go, where to cross-reference, what to do when they don't know what to do. So if you are a deacon or a lay leader, my first hope is that you understand who your people are in your house church. What are they like? How mature are they in the faith? If they're going to be asking a lot of questions, it's good for you to study the Bible study and know what the passage says in detail before conducting it, because you're going to be answering a lot of questions. And that is important. We go over the passage. Maybe you pray first to make sure that God's hand is guiding everybody in how they understand the passage, how they understand the book itself and the theology that God is giving them through it. You're going to have a lot of questions. So first you pray, you read over it, 
you introduce the themes of the basic message of the passage, and you read more scripture in case anything is a little unclear. We interpret scripture with scripture, so if you have a handy-dandy cross-reference Bible, you can write down the passages that are connected to this and bring them up in that Sunday school setting. So people get the main passage that we're reading, they get the cross-references they should be reading as well, and you can have somebody be the designated reader for that, and you tie everything in together. What I'm doing at the Very Lutheran website in providing these Bible studies is giving a little bit of a helping hand. Because it's one thing to go through the Bible verse by verse and explain what each and every verse means, but it's also good to have a point. What is the macro message of the passage itself? So many people get hung up on the old school Baptist style of verse by verse, detail by detail, Greek word or Hebrew word by Greek word or Hebrew word, that they're missing the forest for the trees. When the point is made by the author over a span of 10 or 12 verses, then it behooves us to go through it verse by verse and see the case that they're making. Or if we're in, say, Old Testament history or in the Gospels, reading the overarching story and understanding the details from there. There's got to be a point to the passage. And if you can identify that point, maybe the thesis statement the author is making, then you can bring that up as something for people to take home. What is Isaiah chapter 6 about? Isaiah sees God in his throne room. And I can get bogged down with details about angels with six wings or hot coals being pressed on the prophet's lips, wondering how on earth he said anything. <laughs> But that misses the overarching point of Isaiah chapter 6, that Isaiah was sent out by God. And in order to be sent out, he had to be purified and he had to understand the stakes and what was going to happen. God bringing him on this mission. So if I see the point there, I can take that home with me. And when I reread the passage at home, as I hope all of your parishioners are doing, then I can say, okay, this is the main point. Now I can get into the details and cherish the treasury of Scripture, that it goes deeper and deeper and deeper still. So before the Bible study, do your homework. Please make sure that you know the passage really, really well. If they are newer believers or if they are immature in the faith, they are going to ask a lot of questions or they're going to be quiet and it'll be on you to ask some leading questions so they understand what they're reading. So you got to do your homework. It's good to know what the main point of the passage is, which I'm trying to identify for people and help them out along that path. And then to study the passage as well as all the cross-references to other scripture so that you can preempt any questions. Now, if somebody asks you a question out of left field and you don't know what the answer for it is, that's perfectly fine. 
You don't have to make something up on the fly. You can say, let me get back to you on that. I don't quite know yet. They'll respect you for it if you do actually follow through with that, look it up, and give them a good answer. And by all means, for all deacons and lay leaders and anybody that wants to, you can email me with a Bible question and I'll do my best to help you out with it. Then you can prepare your Bible study however you want to do it. I'm not a big fan of the fill-in-the-blanks type of note sheets that people make. Most parishioners just take those home and if they don't throw them away, they just keep them forever and never really look at them until maybe down the line, five, six years from now, they are reading that book again. So it doesn't really suit me, but maybe you know your people better than me and they thrive on the little fill-in-the-blanks. They thrive on the notes and charts and illustrations that you can make. However you want to teach it, try to plan it out a bit. How are you going to structure your Bible study so that the people in your home, in your home congregation, can understand the overall point of the passage to get some of the details on that and to understand how this passage fits into the broader book of the scriptures and even into their own faith. There's a lot of benefit from doing all of this, but if you do your homework, you know the passage and you've structured the Bible study in such a way as to benefit the people that you are reading to and reading with, then it should turn out okay. Now, if you have a very mature congregation, they're going to know a lot of this stuff already. What you are doing is review for them, and they should have their Bibles handy. A good sign of a mature believer is they're already bringing their Bible to the Bible study. You don't have to pass one out to them. And if they're already doing that, they've already read the passage, and they want to have a discussion as to what it means, well, then you really got to do your homework. Because if they disagree with you on something, or they've been doing their own research, and maybe they've been led astray a little, it's your job as an under-shepherd of our Lord Jesus Christ to kind of slowly bring them closer to the true meaning of the passage. If you're going over, say, the words of institution, for example, the institution of the sacrament of Holy Communion, you're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you're in the end of Luke or in Matthew, and you're reading when Christ says these words, and a mature but misguided believer starts saying, well, you know, somebody was talking to me about how this guy named Zwingli was seeing these words and how it's really about represent, and, you know, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He's going to come armed already with stuff that he was misguided with. And if you've been doing your homework, you don't shout him down. You don't declare yourself infallible and say, agree with me or you are bad, rah, rah, rah. Instead, you go, really, so Zwingli said that, but have you heard about the Marburg colloquy and everything where Martin Luther had a dialogue with him and what that resulted in? You see, they debated about it and... He simply wrote in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, this is my body, and he challenged Zwingli to find which word meant represented. You know, we as Lutherans believe in Christ's true presence, but I've got to say it's good on you for reading. It's good on you for studying these things so you kind of know the other positions out there. But this is what we believe as Lutherans, and here's why. 
If you've done your homework, then when you interact with new believers or immature Christians, great. They are going to benefit so much from learning the passage. And for those Christians who are mature, this is iron sharpening iron. They are ready to go. They are going to be a better Christian for it. And they know it, which is why they are still going to Bible study, even though they are a mature adult Christian. The real fun begins when you have a mixed crowd. One person is brand new to the faith. They've been a Christian for two weeks and they just got baptized. Okay, they're going to have a whole bunch of questions and you need to be able to cover those basics. Then there's going to be another guy out there who's 20 years older than you and maybe he even went to Bible college so he knows a whole lot more than your average bear. And maybe he has a question for you. It's going to be this mixed bag that you'll understand with practice how to run it in a really smart way. And that smart way is almost always guiding everybody gently to read the text and to understand the point of the text. What is the message being declared to them? You could spend two, three hours going over all the minute details over the meaning of the word anamnesis in your study on communion. Sure. You could certainly do that, but it's not going to help them very much. They're not going to understand the point of why our Lord instituted communion, why we do communion, and what is actually happening there. It's good to mention if you need it to, sure. But if you spend that much time on the details because a mature believer brings up what Zwingli said or what their Baptist study Bible says then everybody else in the room is going to miss out on the main point of the passage. So you got to be a little careful to slowly guide people nicely to the main point of the passage. Now somebody's going to say, uh, Sir, Mr. Pastor, why are you saying that somebody is a mature believer if they have theology that is wrong or if they are clearly misled by their own studies? Well, the point is to get them to study. The point is to get them to love scripture so much that they are willing to go, here is my Bible, I know what this says, and now I'm having some trouble understanding it, so I'm going to look at other sources and commentaries to figure it out because I love God's word and I want to know more. That individual has a mark of great Christian maturity to them, provided it doesn't come with character flaws like being impatient, asking hundreds of questions so that the person running the Bible study never gets to the point, etc. and so forth. Obviously, you want them to be a mature believer, not just in the sense of loving scripture, but also in applying the scripture, namely the second greatest commandment that tells them to love their neighbor. So they should be very respectful and polite in Bible study. So let's do a recap. You start off by prayerfully studying the word on your own. The passage that you're going to be going over, you should know it well so you can present it to your people. If you have to write a note sheet or if you have to take cues from what I'm providing through the Very Lutheran Project website, perfectly fine. So long as you do your homework. 
then you start that Bible study whenever you do start it with prayer. Ask God to be the one that guides it so that everybody benefits, even you. And then, while conducting the Bible study, you go over the passage, you go over some of the details in the passage that pop out to the reader. If you have to get into the languages a bit, that's fine. God gave us concordances for a reason. And then you start reaching the ultimate conclusion, the message of the passage that you're reading. If you're having difficulties identifying that, please let me know. Now, during this time, you can ask leading questions. I'm not trying to brainwash people into coming to the conclusions that you want, but inviting them to interact with the text. The Bereans in Acts chapter 17 were actively searching scriptures every single day and interacting with what the Bible said to come to the true faith, that is, the Christian faith. It was good for them to do so. They received praise from the apostles for it. So we want to encourage people to ask questions about the scripture, and that starts with us asking them questions about the scripture. What do you see out of this? What's popping out about it to you? Never ask, by the way, how they feel about it. I can't stand that question. Feelings and emotions should be the result of right doctrine and our interaction with the scripture in honesty. It should not be the prerequisite for whether or not we believe what the scriptures are saying. And all too often, Bible studies devolve into feelings or personal memories or somebody tries to illustrate the text and they start telling a really, really long story and everything. These sorts of incidents just derail the entirety of the Bible study. And you might have to come back to the same passage the next week if you're strapped for time. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. If you're on a six-week study through the Epistle to St. Titus, it's not bad if you have to make it seven or eight weeks and then adjust your calendar and your plans from there. It's okay. The point is that you might have to try again to make sure that your house church understands the passage. They understand the message that God has for them. We shouldn't be so stiff in how we conduct Bible studies because you're not learning about the people in your home congregation, so they're not really benefiting from it. Speaking of that benefit from it, we do have to remember that a Bible study is not the same as a sermon. A sermon is a declaration of law and gospel and response. But in a Bible study where you are getting to know the Holy Scriptures and understanding God's message, there may be a temptation for you to find a practical application from the scriptures. And to that, I say there is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. If the passage does have a practical application for us today, for instance, when St. Paul writes that fornication is the same as fraud, so we should be careful to not engage in sexual sin, perfectly fine to bring that up and to say, this is what God wants us to do. This is a universal letter from St. Paul to all Christians. We should keep that in mind and understand the depth of this sin. But 
Keep in mind, when you do that, when you bring that up and emphasize the practical application of a passage to your home church parishioners, you might get somebody with a bit of a guilty conscience over this, or maybe the law pricks their conscience and they say, hmm, I don't like that. In which case, you're going to want to bring up the reasons why we obey Christ, because he died for our sins, it is out of gratitude, so they're not feeling judged. Yes, there are people, when they see a sin condemned in Scripture, it makes them want to leave. They're not mature in the faith quite yet to say, oh my goodness, I need to obey this commandment, I need to do confession. Instead, they just say, wow, these Christians are really mean and I feel really bad about this. That's okay. The hope is that with gentle leading in the right direction, they will grow in the faith and they won't feel that way the next time this is brought up. Instead, they're going to glorify God because they have grown up in the faith on solid food, on God's word, and next time that's all right. So don't point the finger or get mad at people. Please, please, please remember the number one virtue to have in Bible studies is patience, both for yourself in studying the word and for everybody else in conducting a Bible study for them. The second is going to be selflessness. We don't want to get some great reputation as a fantastic Bible teacher. Instead, you have to have the mindset that this is for them. Everything has to be accommodating for the parishioner rather than the teacher. If you have to reset, if you have to start all over again, if you have to add a week or two because a class got derailed or something, that's okay. You're operating on God's time and God wants his grace for these people to be shown to them through learning the word. Remember that if you love these people and you're willing to put in some extra work for them, then they are going to respect you as a Bible teacher and it will go so much more smoothly than if there's combative arguments and attitudes or bickering or barking at people to be quiet during this or get off your phone kind of a thing. No, we need to have patience for them. They are sheep just like us and they need a gentle under-shepherd of Christ to assist them. Now that said, Next week, maybe we can get into some more details on that, and maybe I can give a suggestion for a more specific structure of a Bible study for people. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you, and bless your Bible studies. Amen and amen.